where all my children are the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors, all we know is to fight, pray, they see God and everything I write here. Yeah. Um, this is really my first conversation, uh, first uh, real public conversation since uh, George Floyd's death and um you know, when it happened, I immediately saw the world uh, shifting. I could feel, and we talked briefly, you know, and I could feel the shift cap, uh, I could feel the shift happening. Um, and I immediately went into a state of study. You know, I could feel that I was going to be called on in a way that was different than anything that had ever happened in my career um, and in my life. Um uh, and I just wanted to be um, prepared um, to to meet the the seismic shift of the times. So you know, I, I've been in the lab, so I'm uh, looking forward to talking. Well, awesome. Um, I first want to just say thank you for um, agreeing to sit down with me, and just as my friend and as someone who I deeply, deeply respect. Um, what the viewing audience doesn't know is you have counseled me through breakups and TV show ideas and what I need to do with my life. I know how much um, your wisdom has meant to me. I really want you guys to the viewing audience to hear from you, I think, in a time like this, because it offers us such a unique opportunity to do different. You know, and so to, just to really start there, how do you see this moment right now? And how are you balancing your emotional and your mental well-being in a time that's like, OK, first it was coronavirus. Now we on a whole different, you know, type of change. How are you managing that? That feels like that could be a, you know, like a midlife identity crisis. We are in. um a circumstance that we've never been before. The entire globe has stood up and said to, to the African-American uh, people, we see you and we hear you. How can we help? Yeah. We've never been there before. There are a lot of people who make assumptions about you, about the ways that you would be engaging right now. So I want you to talk about that. Like, what are some of the myths and the the, the um, misconceptions about how you're experiencing this? Because I, I do think it's false, but I want people to hear from you. Well, I, I grew up in in Philadelphia. West Philadelphia, born and raised. <laughs> I, I grew up under, uh, you know, Mayor Rizzo in in Philadelphia. You know, he went from the chief of police to becoming the mayor and he had an iron hand. And, you know, I, I've been called nigger by the cops in Philly on more than 10 occasions. The police, when I was growing up, um, moved with impunity in, in Philly. I understand what it's like, um, you know, to be in those circumstances with the police to feel like you've been occupied. It's an occupying force. White kids were were happy when the cops showed up and my heart always started pounding. There's a there there's a, a part of this that people who don't grow up in that you just can't comprehend. You just can't comprehend what it feels like um, to feel like you live in an occupied territory. 
you know, so the, for me, that that was the first part. And the, the second part was, I, you know, I got two black sons. When I saw this this cop with his hands in his pockets, I'm like, what is going on inside of a person's mind to just be able to do that to another person? Right. So, you, you know, for, for me, it comes down to. You know, after you get beyond the rage and that that was one of the things also that, you know, you and I talk about all the time that I wanted to um, be able to talk about, whereas rage is is justified under oppression. Right. It also can be really dangerous. And what I loved about the peaceful protests, it's like peaceful protests put up a mirror to the de- the demonic imagery of your oppressor. You know, so I was really encouraged by um, how powerfully this generation was able to hold that mirror. And then the response of the world seeing and responding, you know, so it was it was it was uh, it, it was painful uh, to watch. But I was I was deeply encouraged by the innate connectivity of the protesters globally. And we, we've never been there before. That is that's interesting, too, because my dad, um, we did a Zoom like everybody's birthday right now for his birthday on June 2nd. And he was talking about how encouraged he was because he hadn't seen anything like this in his lifetime, even talking about the civil rights. It's something about the way this moment made him feel. And maybe it's just like as an elder who still has a bullhorn, still protests, you know, he's like, OK, it feels like they get it now and they can take this on. But there's also this like dichotomy of emotion that you're referencing about the rage. Like, can you pull yourself into something productive while still experiencing the frustration and the rage? We're also seeing some of that like on Capitol Hill, which is like, okay, we got to pass this legislation. It can't be too radical. If it's radical, it's not going to pass. But you and I had this conversation and like I said, like, I call you Willie Lama. You're my gut check. Like, I know if, if I call you and you're like, nah, you want some crazy, sh-. you know, like, I, I know that it's too far. But I was like, I'm worried that, like, we're about to lose this opportunity. And you were like, yes. So I want I want for a moment to you for you to talk about that from like not digging into legislation, but politically why this is important from, you know, what companies are doing, what brands are doing. Why is this the moment now? And why is it so important that we go big so that it is sustainable, long lasting change? Uh, Unprecedented global opportunity for uh, African-American entrepreneurs and thinkers, right? There has never been a time in American history where people are wide open and it is an absolute necessity to respond with the how they can help. But to that point, right, like I feel like there's this responsibility, too, for those of us who have platforms, regardless of how large or small. What are you demanding in like in like in response to that, like? Okay, yeah, happy to stand with you in this, but like I need this many black staff, these many black executives, this many black. 
You know, the idea of getting uh, as much support as possible for an it, yeah. you know, and and it's not a general it, a specific it that's more likely and that becomes easier to say yes to in the in the smaller bite sized pieces. It's like um, reforming policing. Or defunding. There, the conversation's been on defund. Like, if you're going to, you know, have this amount of money going to them, why don't you take some of those resources to really create safer communities? Like, 911 shouldn't just be about calling the police, the fire department sometimes, the medic sometimes. Maybe there's a mental health responder. The idea of completely rethinking the idea of policing, That's it. right, is wide open. Right. Everybody's saying, yes, it's time to make an adjustment. And it's just what is the adjustment? I think the idea of defund the police is um, properly incendiary. Right. But the ideas are um, not as scary as the, the phrase sounds. Right. And most people are on board for the idea of of defunding and refunding and adjusting and divest to invest. Right. Absolutely. Pick your word. But like the fact that they're fine with saying uh, defund Social Security when it's old people that like need the money. It's crazy. It's, it's like our frames are so off. And so this is one of the other things too that like. I love about talking to you. There's always like this, like this global holistic frame that you put things in. And to me, it's like, there's this opportunity to reset and really hold accountable. Right. So it's like black lives matter. Absolutely have to be, has, has to be the thing when dealing with police violence, but it, there can't be a gap when we are talking about hiring practices and boards and, you know, um, whether or not a vendor gets utilized or how a, a school, how the, a school's representation or what a textbook looks like. So there's this massive accountability effort that's happening. People that like, oh, that one time I put on blackface. Well, let me explain myself and I'm never going to do it again. Like things that get to your point. We've been screaming about these things. Yeah. The first basic fundamental uh, precept that I've come to is I got to worry about me. Right. You do you. I'm going to do me. Right. <laughs> Not exactly that. But the idea I'm responsible for my words and my actions being loving and productive in that interaction. We have to start with. Communication is of the utmost. Communication is everything. We either are going to be able to talk to each other and work through these things. And, you know, in war, the first thing you do is sever communications. That's because if you want to if you want to fight, you destroy someone by not having effective communication. So, you know, for me, it always comes down to being able to talk to one another calmly and clearly and develop understanding in order to be able to develop compassion, to be able to decide how we're going to move forward. You have a project, um, Emancipation. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to talk to you about this because you've never done 
a slave, like a slavery movie or a movie about an enslaved person. Why now? What do you think shifted for you? Or was it this particular project in the way that is positioned? My whole approach um, to building an image and to uh, building something that uh, young black kids and kids around the world could aspire to. I was, I was always avoiding those kinds of roles just because in, in, in what I saw myself as being, I needed to be as high and fly as high as I could possibly fly. So young black kids would see that kind of flying and, and really all kids could see that type of flying as not something that only white movie stars could do. Do you regret um, not doing a, a movie about slavery sooner? Do you think that it erases anything about our history or the validity of that history from not doing any? Uh, the reason I chose emancipation now is more than ever. Um, uh, we, we have to understand the reality of where we came from. There are some who are like, they don't, they don't care. Like, it's just like, oh, you know, it is what it is. Like people right now who are arguing to keep up some of the statues are saying like, well, it's history. We have to keep it up because it's history. You don't have to honor and pay homage to history like that. So this is a good, this is a good discussion we can have. Let's first say that there's a difference um, between ignorance and evil. All right. So they're, they're twins. They are definitely twins. Without question, ignorance and evil are twins, right? Um, ignorance is curable through love and wisdom. Yes. What I'm saying is when you figure out and you're trying to make a determination of how you're going to handle the person in front of you, mm -hmm. if they are just ignorant... They're curable. It is really hard for me to, and my mom says this too. She's like, Angela, the greatest thing you can learn in life is perspective taking. It's some perspectives I don't want to take because I'm like, that has resulted in death, in harm, in secession from the union and all these other things. Like, why do I have to understand that? What y'all need to understand is it's just wrong. That's how I feel. And I know that um, how I feel isn't necessarily the most persuasive argument, but I also think it is imperative for us to understand that, like, there are some aspects of their history causing harm that some, not all, that some, a lot, don't care about. And that is the problem, right? Like, that's how we got here. So how, just like with the police, they see police as protecting and serving. I see policing far too often as shooting and killing. Right, absolutely. Like fundamental differences because our experiences are so completely divergent, you know? All, all I'm saying to you is um, some of the most racist experiences I've, I've ever had, some of the most racist things I've ever heard somebody say has been in story meetings in Hollywood. Give me one. Give me, tell me one. Um... Uh, you can't make that movie with an African-American woman because white people don't want to see that. Just make it with a white girl or a Latin girl. 
What did you say? Um, I said, you're wrong. Um, and I said, just tell me how much money. And th this is my point. Yeah. I understand through the process of understanding what I'm dealing with. Right. Barack Obama said something one time that I thought was just brilliant with this idea. He said, as a defense attorney, you don't have to worry about the defense. Build the prosecution. Yeah. Build the prosecution. Understand what your opponent thinks. Understand what your opponent is going to say or do. And through an intricate comprehension of the prosecution is how you develop your defense. Through an intricate comprehension of the mind of the oppressor is how we get around the oppression. You get on my nerves, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's exhausting though. You know what I mean? It's like the people who have the least have to do the most work. Like, I can't tell you how many, I can't, I can't even imagine what you've experienced in film and media, but just shooting this show, like we're like the amount of hoops we have to jump through to hire a black team. Like, it's just like, what is wrong with y'all? Like, this is so obvious and it's not obvious. And I don't understand why it's not obvious. Cause it's like, well, do you want to just look at the demographic data? You know, like one of the things in this in this whole process that that was was a real head scratcher. Um, when we move through the world, you are confronting defiled and degraded minds. Yeah. And it's never going to be any different than that. So in trying to build systems because that's what's going to happen now. We're going to build new systems, right? You're still going to be confronting those same defiled and degraded minds in these circumstances. The problem is in the hearts and minds of people. Mm -hmm. So, so it demands that our attention begin on our hearts and minds yeah. as a country I would hope that a part of what we're learning right now is the destructive aspects of loveless, godless leadership. If there is a singular message I would have um, to this next generation as they're seizing control of this world is don't succumb to lovelessness no matter how much evil you face because you poison yourself and you poison your own community when you succumb to lovelessness. Whew, these are some tall orders. And um, I think that love is accountability, that love is systemic change. You know, that, yeah, when you start talking about imper imperfect people in systems and their hearts being um, defiled and challenging in all the ways those systems can easily become corrupt, but it is the point of accountability to ensure that they're constantly what they're supposed to be, what they were created to be. The challenge we have right now is the system that we're currently under, at least in this country was never really meant for us, was never really meant to serve us and everything that is an outgrowth of that, whether it's the financial services institutions, the, you know, Hollywood, you know, whatever else, when none of it was ever meant for us. And so do we reform the systems that are 
or do we reset and reconstruct new ones so they do serve us? So the yeah. thing, so the, the, the system, the system and the systems that need to be reformed starts, and it's so really cliche, it starts with you. All, all, all the systems that we design are going to reflect the evolutionary state of our hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. Right? So, right? The whole concept of policing is up for evolutionary change, revolutionary change, right? But it's a deeper question than just building a new system. It's the question of a human being policing another human being, right? It's a bigger, broader, deeper question, you know, that is terrifying to some people. Here's what I think my challenge is. I think that there are some things where I approach the conversation or even the solution like this is so obvious, right? Like you really, you literally ran me into that today. But part of it is, I think it was on purpose. Part of it is like, what if I don't have the solution? Right. Like really, like lay my ego aside, lay my know-it-all aside. Like what if I really don't know? What if there is something better than anything I could have conceived? You know, and that's like the thing that I think would be so good for us because then everybody comes to the table in a vulnerable, open Yes, absolutely. Posture. Like, let's just explore. We used to call that the number one answer, right? Like when we would be in these collisions and the thing is the number one answer, right? So I don't have the solution. You don't have the solution. But we both trust that there is one. Yeah. So what posture can we assume? What rules of of engagement can we assume that will help us discover the number one answer to to solve this problem. Yeah. So for me, one, one of the things that was a simple communication issue that had my hands on my face and something as simple as black lives matter. Yeah. What's the fucking point of contention, right? Right. The point of contention is that's not what the person's hearing. Right. So that's where communication rules come in very handy. Here's what the answer is when someone says black lives matter. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. Black lives matter. Right. But when you get out there for somebody to respond All lives matter. Blue lives matter. It's like. Yeah. um, It's like. But there's also there's something else too. slave mentality isn't just something that black people carry in their DNA, like slave mentality or mentality about enslaved persons. I learned could also be about the way that you see a life, the value of a life. Part of that argument is. I'm going to push back because I don't even want to address that. I know that you would say that that is the evil part, not the ignorance part. But I also think there's some ignorance tied into that. My grandmother had a firm belief that um, 
and instilled it in me that and a belief that I have. And I don't know if it's true, but I walk in the world with this is everybody's reachable. I love that. Every person you come in contact with is reachable. And it's your job to try to reach them. I don't me, mind me, my, mind me. That was my job to try to reach them. I, I sat in the back of a movie theater one time. I always sit in the, I always sit in the back of the theater. Um, Steven Spielberg told me that's how you judge how good or bad your movie is by the backs of people's heads. Right. I sat and I watched Men in Black in the back of the theater with Steven Spielberg, and he was explaining what people do with their heads and how you can see if your movie's working or not. Right. So I've 99 percent of the movie theaters I've been in since that point, I sit and watch from the back and I sat and watched uh, Men in Black 2 in the back of the theater. And there was a dude with a bald head, a skinhead with a swastika watching men in black. Right. And I was like, what the fuck is that? So he's, so he's not racist in the movie theater and he's cracking up and he's by himself. He's not with his his friend. Right. And I was like, this dude is a skinhead with a swastika. There's that he's so racist. He wants it tattooed on his forehead, yet he went and paid in the movie theater and is cracking up, right? And it's, it was like the, cogn- co- uh, the cognitive dissonance on that one was so hard for me and it just underscored what, what my grandmother said, everybody's reachable. Everybody's reachable and it's just... Am I going to have the wherewithal to reach those hearts and minds? So all, all of that to say, this is, this is a painful and, um, transformative time. And I'm looking forward to, uh, how I can do, uh, my role in healing our community and in precipitating a uh, more powerful, uh, America in the future. You know, for me, my relationship with America, there's no other country on earth that would even allow me to exist, you know? So, um, I have an affinity for the promise of this country and, um, I don't see it as white people's country that black people are in. This is our country. We built it. I have a shirt on that said, we built this joint for free. You know, there you go. That's absolutely. <laughs> and I, I just, I say to you and um, I, I say to, to our community and to the world, um, I, I am um, encouraged and I am pledging my unending devotion to the evolution of my community and the evolution of my country and ultimately the, the world towards, uh, peace and, uh, the, the greatest harmony that we'll be able to create. Um, I am excited and I am in, in inspired to, 
um, engage in loving service as we move forward. Um, I'm, I am happy to be alive during this time and to serve. Yay. Thank you, Will Smith. Thank you very much. You the man, son. You the man. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Talk soon. Okay, bye-bye. We're all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight. Praying they see God in everything I write here.